there was a time and place that this university was feared. My goal as the head football coach at the University of Tennessee it is to get us back to that point. All right? Let me just quote the late, great Colonel Sanders. He said, I'm too drunk to taste this chicken. What is that? That's what she said. When you think about running through the tea at Dalen Stadium for the first time this Saturday, does that give you a little bit of chicken skin? A little bit of what? A chicken skin, you know. You know what I'm making reference to when I say chicken skin? You're a southern boy. Got no idea. Dobbs heaves it. They're bunched up in the end zone. It's tipped up. It's caught. It is caught. Jawan Jennings. Jawan Jennings. Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time. Not a bad week at all in Tennessee athletics time. Only Mother Nature is angry this week in Knoxville, Tennessee time. Patrick is in here being rude today time. That's why we're frenemies time. Whatever time of day it is, it's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker, Ryan Callahan, Patrick Brown, the artist also known as Pat or PB or Turd Ferguson. That's what that's that's what you might be throughout this podcast. I haven't decided yet. Like fifty one forty nine, that you won't be, but I can't I can't make any promises. If you really want to make your wife roll her eyes, Patrick, just call her Jelly sometimes, since you're a PB. There you go. Don't tell me what to call my wife, Ryan. Just a thought. That's what Grant. That's what uh, Grant and uh, Admiral call each other. Well, they're not me and my wife, so. Well, because. I, between you and your wife, I like one of you, and between Grant and Admiral, I like both of them. So you're right; there is no comparison. The, the people don't know my my wife's name starts with a J. I'm not gonna say her name because you See? people you people don't need to know that. Even more sense, Joe. Uh, and I appreciate you guys not revealing it; otherwise, yeah. I would make us start this podcast over. Uh, but yeah, that, that's what that's what Brian's talking about. So obviously, my name is PB. You guys figured it out. You're smart. See. P-B-J? Not you two. You, you two guys are not smart. The, peop- the people, the listeners are smart. Was that like your stamp on your wedding invitations, PB and J? Um, it no. should have been. No, it was not. Well, what people need to know. And I'm not even that big of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich fan, if I'm being honest. Wow. She is. She is. I haven't had one in a long time. They don't. We don't have sponsors on this podcast. But if you don't use Jif Simply Ground or Jif. Uh, simply ground peanut butter will change your life. Man. I think people that use crunchy peanut butter are psychotic. No, wait, hold on. I, I agree. Hold on. I think it's the Peter Pan Simply. It's it's the one that's called the Simply Peanut Butter. Best peanut butter I've ever had. Not even close. I don't. It will th- change your peanut butter life. I don't get the crunchy thing. I really don't. No, but this either. one, this one, it's like this uh, explains a lot of things about West. One thing, real quick. It's it's like the perfect combination of smooth and. And uh, chunky peanut butter, it's like it's just like a little bit of crunch to it, like a little bit, like a little bit, like a, like a baby teething kind of a little bit. Okay, so in like regular butter, is there anything crunchy or chunky? No. Is there not supposed to be? No, I mean it. No, I'm I'm saying if, if it's peanut butter, it's supposed to be smooth and creamy and not have stuff in it. You ever um, held a peanut? 
chewed on a peanut? I'm a man. I've eaten peanuts. So you know they have crunch to them, right? just telling you. But it's peanut butter. If you want to eat peanuts, eat peanuts. For those who don't know, before we get into the podcast stuff today, I think it's a good time to let people know this. If you're ever one of those people and you say, why do these guys occasionally, why do Wes and Patrick occasionally treat each other with disrespect? The reason is, I'm sure some of you know this term, but there's the term frenemy and or best frenemy, if you will. Whereas we pretty much decide on a daily basis are we going to be bros or are we going to be fighting today? And I think today, judging by the way, um, Pat just kind of walked in here looking. It's he, always he, me. It's he, never, it's no, never, sometimes it's, it's me. It's never today. your sometimes fault. Sometimes it's me today, it's you. And he just kind of, he, he kind of <laughs> walked in. And what I can only describe is he walked into this office here at Fort Rucker Studio looking for a fight, just with a really punchable face. Just walked in with like a, I'm gonna fight you today. Like a, like you know when you look at like a Duke basketball player and you're like, I just want to punch that guy in the face. That is sort of the uh, what Pat walked in here with today. Grayson, Grayson Allen. Basically, you just called me John Shire. Is what you just did. no, because you walked in with like this face that was like a little, um, I don't know, what some snooty maybe is is a good word or um, elitist perhaps. You just had this kind of air of arrogance about you when you walked in here today and and i i didn't i believe the kids call that swagger they call that or they call it swag mm. they do say swag yeah. maybe i sauntered in here that's a good word right it's possible it's possible got was a bunch of a, a Derek dooley level of arrogance you oh say? good tease there ryan we are going to talk about we're going to tell uh some Derek dooley or as he's written in here Derek bleeping dooley there will be some Derek bleeping dooley stories before we get out of here today and since ryan is here today we will have uh, some recruiting talk before we get out of here today, but we're going to have that toward the end of the podcast, which is normally where we have that. We'll also have some Grant's Gun Show questions of the week, especially because Grant's not here to defend himself or his honor. Not that he would either, because you'll have to, he'd have to you know raise his voice above a whisper to do that. True. So he probably would not do that. Uh, we are going to talk about some Tennessee football. That's the majority of this podcast. But first off, a couple of quick things. One shout out, by the way, uh, fake clap, clap emoji. To the uh, Tennessee soccer team, which uh, Bunny Shaw, if you don't know this girl, oh, man, she is a stud. She uh, plays for the Jamaican national team, and she's a senior at Tennessee. And she scored two goals, including one absolute beauty, uh, to lead them to a come-from-behind win in the, their NCAA tournament opener. Uh, great, great game. Uh, they just that, – that, that girl can play, man. She's, she's like the Jamaican female Muhammad Salah. Yeah, she, she's, got a, uh, she's got a future play in this game at the international and club level. So she, look out for her. She is going to – Isn't she already on Jamaica's, like, World Cup team? She's, yeah, she's on their national team. And they made the World Cup, right? Yeah, and she's one of the ones who helped them make there the World Cup. So that's going to be a big year coming up for Bunny Shaw, who is just a great name, great player, and uh, gets a good good story of someone who came from Jamaica, went to a Florida junior college, kept working, working hard, eventually got a big break, got to play at a place like Tennessee, and now she's going to go on to be a, a star. So. And shout-out Brian Pinsky. He's doing a good job. Yeah, he doing is. a great job with them. They were the number two national seed going into that tournament, and they'll be hosting second and potentially third-round games here as they march toward hopefully their first college cup uh, in their program's history. So that would, that would be a big deal. Also, since uh, Grant is worthless and not here, uh, we're, I think we're going back to the hoops. We'll do the uh, one football slash one hoops podcast, one apiece, maybe starting next week, maybe. Uh, but since he's not here, I will mention that the Tennessee basketball team is now ranked number five nationally, uh, is 3-0 and after 
uh, a good workmanlike win over Georgia Tech. You know, Georgia Tech with Passner. Uh, Passner's familiar with this Tennessee team, this program, and he wanted to come in here. And he didn't want to let Tennessee sports car get out there and go up and down the road. He wanted to hit it with a sledgehammer. And so Georgia Tech kind of played that game like a big rock fight, and that's how what they needed to do to give themselves a chance. And they did give themselves a chance, but really Tennessee was in control the entire time, won by 13 points, and that's despite having a putrid offensive night at the same night that Lamonte Turner wasn't playing. So when you have all those factors together and yet you still beat an ACC team comfortably, uh, you're pretty good. So, uh, And I think that was a good lesson, too, because the question, uh, humble brag, question that I asked Rick in the postgame press conference was he said that's exactly what he talked to his team about at halftime, which is that if you're a number five or top five team now, this is what you need to expect. This is what people are going to do. They're going to hurl rocks at you. They're going to, you know, kind of throw. They're going to have sharp elbows. They're going to be banging you underneath the block. They're going to be, they're going to be kind of getting in your, trying to get in your head and trying to mess with you. And so, people play with a hard edge when they're playing a top five, top ten caliber team. And Tennessee's players should know that very well because the past two years that's been them. So now the shoe's on the other foot, and we'll see if that makes it easier for them to handle it. But it's hard to complain about too much with this team right now, isn't it? I don't know, Wes. Let's talk about some football. <laughs> this is why you're. This is why you're. This is this is what see people. This is what I'm talking about today. It's it's early in the season. There, we'll, we'll obviously find out much let's, more about this team. Let's let's just say that we hope that they beat Louisville and Kansas beats whoever they be need to beat next week, and that Tennessee and Kansas will play up in New yes. York. That would be that would be ideal for everyone because yeah. Kansas is two, right? Yeah, got, Kansas, got, got leapfrogged by Duke, which Kansas, was hilariously put at number three in the preseason. And oh. Kansas and Duke or four. Kansas is always one of those teams that like they're good during the regular season, but it's like, like they're really combustible. Yes, like when they go out in the NCAA tournament, like they go out, like they flame out. They flame out, yes. yeah, and it's it's hilarious. It's like when it's it's like Kentucky, but uh, that'll be that would be a a really colossal early season matchup. That would be what next Friday, Wes. Uh, yes, it would be Friday. Since he plays Louisville Wednesday. Louisville Wednesday at 5 p.m., I think. And then plays Friday. If they win, they'll likely play Kansas on Who's Kansas play? Friday. Uh, team Kansas is going to beat. Okay, all right. Most likely. I mean, I don't, you know, it's okay. But Luckily, we have the internet, so I can just look this up. You can look that up. And while you are looking that up, I will say that they are expecting to have Lamonte Turner back. Uh, next week from the, his some of his shoulder problems. And, you know, if Lamonte Turner comes up to you and says his shoulder's hurting, that thing's probably hurting pretty bad because uh, he's he's a uh, he's a tough guy. And uh, he should be back soon, though. And I think that he would have been good for Tennessee to have against that Georgia Tech team because some of those hard Georgia Tech fouls, I think, would have turned into a uh, – I think Lamonte would have had a retaliation. I think he's kind of the surprising alpha on that team that people don't realize is an alpha. But Lamonte is a – is it absolutely as tenacious competitively as Jawan Jennings is? And I think he would have had something to say about some of those fouls. So they'd K- like to have him back. Kansas plays Marquette, who already took a 23-point L to Indiana. So See? Someone Kansas is going to beat. So you could have listened to me, or you could have just wasted 30 seconds of your life and not listened to me. And yet it's always my fault that Lesson we're going at, going at each other. Lesson learned. L-E-R-N-E-D, learned. That's how I spell it. Guys, this has been a uh, stop. Stop me. Stop me if you've uh, if this sounds scary or if this sounds if you get a little uncomfortable when you hear this because it sounds so different. Pretty good week for Tennessee football. Dare I say, pretty good week for the Vols. Tennessee coming off its second ranked win or win over a ranked team this season. 
really kind of comprehensively beating number 11 Kentucky. Yes, number 11 Kentucky, uh, 24-7 at Neyland Stadium. Tennessee played its most complete game of the season. Uh, it was pretty good offensively for, for at least two-thirds of that game, really good defensively for like 80%, 90% of that game. Uh, just a really, really solid performance against a Kentucky team that I'm going to say two things about. One, it was absolutely not the 11th best team in the country, never was. Secondly, 100% deserves to be ranked and is a good football team. And Tennessee made that good football team look pretty average. Uh, Tennessee was the better team last week, uh, and that was because Tennessee was better on the sidelines. And between the years, yeah. Uh, and that that's – it was a great job by Jeremy Pruitt and his defensive staff because what do we all say going into that game? They have to stop Benny Snell. They have to stop Benny Snell. Well, they did, and they won. They made a team that can be terribly one-dimensional, and they took them and made them one-dimensional. I'll say this, though. I didn't think Benny Snell looked that he, special it, last it, week. It looked like Kentucky. They he, looked he, like a team that had come off playing like five or six really pressure-packed, yeah. intense games. And he was banged up. So and I, he, and I he's, also got, he's also got about 35 or 40 more touches than anyone else in the SEC. Yeah. So he's, so he's a little bit we're making excuses one. for the Cats is what we're doing. Is that what but, we're doing but what here? I'm saying is – No, you're, we're not. We're not, giving, we're not frenemy. We're not. I'm giving Tennessee a lot of credit, but I also don't know that Kentucky looked – Maybe on that, maybe just on that day, but they didn't look like a team that was really better than Tennessee. We said this last week on the podcast that there were there were two people in the program, one pretty darn high up in the program, who told me flat out that Missouri scared them more than Kentucky did, and they should, because Kentucky the thought was if you just contain, you don't have to stop Benny Snell, but if you just contain Snell, and you make Kentucky get in throwable situations you're going to beat Kentucky. They're not going to score very much. Now, they do have one of the top 15 scoring defenses and total defenses in college football, and you cannot take that away from them. That is on paper. They've now played eight SEC games, and they're ranked that high. They are pretty good defensively. Uh, they got a first-round pick maybe or at least an early second-round pick coming off the edge in Allen. They've got a safety who should be a mid-round prospect. Uh, they got some other fringe NFL prospects. They've got some good players, some good upperclassmen, veteran players on that defense, and they're good. Uh, so Tennessee – doing what it did against them was good. But the thought was, if you could just make Kentucky, and if you notice this, this is exactly what happened in the game. When Kentucky was able to be pretty good on first down, it usually could have a pretty decent chance to move the chains. When Kentucky struggled was when anytime there was a false start penalty or a holding penalty, anytime there was a sack, anytime you put Kentucky's offense off schedule, you're going to beat Kentucky's offense usually. So, I mean, Bowden's a good player. they got some decent players. Uh, Conrad's a really good tight end. They've got players, but but they just they're not good enough at quarterback to beat you in the throw game if you get them behind well, the sticks. Well, that's I mean that that Tennessee holding Kentucky to seven points is not really all that surprising. Let's be honest, Kentucky can't score; hadn't scored more than seventeen in a month. Correct. Um, and Tennessee was coming off a, a pretty good defensive performance against a similarly one-dimensional team in Charlotte. Correct. Uh, we, when when they know that they can sell out, stop the run, I think and make a team beat them throwing the ball, I think that's when that's a that's the best matchup for this iteration of Tennessee's defense. Big difference though, uh, they didn't have a Charlotte didn't have a quarterback who could run anything like Wilson can run. True. And they did a great job containing Wilson and keeping him from running. I mean he he was really never out of the pocket making a lot of play. I think he had one scramble. Uh and, and they, they hemmed him up and, and got him contained pretty good. Uh the, the surprise was had to be Tennessee's offense scoring twenty four in Kentucky mm-hmm. because uh, I mean, it's a good defense. I mean, they're running not, and it's running not, the football, it's being not, balanced. It's not uh, Kentucky's defense. I, 
I would I don't know that if it's it, it's elite, but it's close. They got they got it's a good. lot of good players and a lot of experienced players, uh, and they've got some dynamic guys that can make a lot of things happen. In Tennessee, I mean, two hundred fifteen rushing yards, uh, and they set that up by getting hitting some big plays uh, in the first half. And you know we saw it early. We we've talked all season. Tennessee's been running too much on first down, running too much on first down. I think they came out and threw it seven times on. 14 first downs in the couple first of, half. A couple of YOLO downfield throws, Yeah, too. first play of the game, taking a shot to Juwan Jennings. Didn't get a catch, but you got a 50, uh, you know, pass interference penalty. Uh, you got good field position after you get a good stop, and, and Marquez Callaway gets about 15 yards on a hunt return. First play, shot down the field to Jordan Murphy. Um, and, and you saw a really good game plan by Tyson Helton. Now it helps when you have an offense that, that offensive line that's doing well. and um, It looked like to me they changed some stuff up. It looked like they had more – tight ends lined up sort of off the line and coming across the formation yeah, to get backside pr- 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 backers. Pruitt down, pr- downplayed that, but I agree with you. Uh, and that. Eli Wolf on Tuesday said, hey, you know, we switched some some <clears throat> some things up schematically, uh, and it looked like it simplified things for the offensive line, and so they had fewer busts. They still had some busts. They still gave up, I think, six lost yardage plays. A lot of those were in the second half. Yeah, they're really um, prolific at the uh, TFL allowing but, thing. But they had, I mean, for every one of those, they had, you know, just – huge seams and cutback lanes that the running backs were able to take advantage of. And I think they had – if you want to throw Murphy's reverse in there, I think they had eight runs. Of, a call that Pruitt 10, hated. 10-plus uh, yards, which is pretty good against a, a defense that doesn't really give up a whole lot of those. So um, – and it has – you know, we've we've crapped enough on this offensive line. I wrote a big thing the week of that game about how they got so bad and they came out and played really well. So they so, should thank us. That's what they should do. Um, they should thank but us. But, you know, you think about it. Yeah, you know, two of the past three games they've been they've been okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were okay against South Carolina. I think they played well enough to uh, for the Tennessee's offense played well enough to win that game. They got enough. Uh, I think they had what 156 rushing yards, something like that. So um, they still need to clean up some pass protection stuff. Um, and it's gonna you know Missouri's pretty good up front against the run, but uh, really surprising that I did not think that that Tennessee was gonna run for 115 yards, much less 215. And they did a decent job of, of keeping Josh Allen. Um, off of Jared Garantano. He, he got one sack and nearly had a couple more, including on the Hail Mary. He almost stripped mm-hmm. Garantano. Yeah. Um, but they uh, – and the one sack they gave up, I think they let Tatum one-on-one, which probably wasn't the best thing. I don't know how many, I don't know how many more was, times they did was, that. That was really impressive wherewithal from Garantano on that play to kind of <laughs> keep his keep his poise, keep his balance, and still throw the ball downfield. Yeah, and, and you know, they kept Allen from wrecking the game plan, which is – I guess a guy that good, you have to, that's what you have to do. Yeah, I thought that that there were, um, you know, and, and we've been particularly hard on Tennessee's offensive line, but especially on Drew Richmond. And, and honestly, a lot of it's been deserved. He's had some real head scratchers this week, uh, and this week he had two more false starts because, well, you're just you're going to have to go into every ba- game. It seems banking one or two off false start flags on Drew Richardson, but you know what he did this time. Both times, both times, go back and watch the film. Both times, Tennessee ran to the right side on the next play and got big yardage. So made up for it pretty quickly. And if you're a coach, the only thing you can ask from a player is if you're going to make a mistake, put it away and go make up for it. And that is what he did. And so, you know, congratulations to him. Neither one of those plays really, really hurt Tennessee. And uh, he was given the business on the sideline for that for – that, um, for that altercation, where again, all 20, every player on the field, second year in a row, pretty pretty sure that's a new NCAA record. Two teams, two years in a row, had every player on both teams called for a personal foul penalty or unsportsmanlike conduct, and 
It was not intensity offensive lineman might have started that one, but it wasn't Drew Richmond. It, it might have been Marcus Tatum with the uh, the uh, double bird salute to Kentucky's defensive line, the Rashawn Golden, <laughs> if you will. I mean, it was so when you go because only one, only one film, only one replay had the angle to show it. But when the right when the, right when Jordan scored that touchdown there at the goal line, and it seems there's like, some tripping and some yeah. Tatum gets up, he like he doesn't, he's not even up yet. He's, he's on his back. Up, yeah. He's on his back and he sits up and he just goes like bow, 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 and throws it. And then a and Kentucky then got, player threw a punch. Uh, there was a Kentucky player that was like giving Juwan Jennings the business out of the Hail Mary. Kind of chippy there. Yeah, the, the ref got concussed. The referee was in concussion excellent, protocol. <clears throat> excellent job by that SEC officiating crew of, of uh, conta- you know, taking control of the game and giving everyone a unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. They had their own. Fortunately, guy. fortunately for that crew, they weren't as bad as the crew that was in Tuscaloosa, so they got they got off scot free. I think it, on a, on a somewhat serious topic, that was the first time I'd ever seen like a referee concussed, and it was the second time he went down that they finally noticed it. The first time he got back up, it's like, do they not have a concussion protocol or anything like that? Because should, he should cause, the, cause he was. You remember, you remember that right? It was the same guy. He was down on his knee for a while, and they tried to get up, and then a few plays later, it was like, uh, uh-uh, uh, can't do this. Went down again, and then left. I'm, I'm beginning to wonder. The SEC is supposed to have like a head injury person monitor guy up in the press box. Mm-hmm. In between this with the referee and Brett Kendrick last year, what is that guy doing? He's supposed to like buzz down and be like, "Hey, this guy's from up here. I can see he's got concussion symptoms. Let's take him. Let's let's get him to look at." Am I guessing? You know, like, my guess he's catching up on his Netflix. Have we ever? <laughs> <laughs> probably. <laughs> I mean, have we ever seen that guy pull somebody out of a game that we know of? No, I've never seen it. No. I mean, like it's just I don't know. That guy's out there like, oh, the 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 new Daredevil's out and and Iron Fist just started. I'm behind. I got a I got a lot of watching to do. Yeah, so he's, the SEC is a great league, um, and it's got a lot of money and. It's got some good football teams and some good football coaches, but its officiating has been trash all year. And then when games are on SEC Network, they don't even have enough yeah. camera angles to see <laughs> I mean, obvious game-changing got, fumbles. It's gotten to a point this week where on the SEC teleconference, somebody asked multiple coaches, does it feel like – basically, like, is this the NBA where the elite teams get the calls? That was a legit question to both Mark Stoops and Joe Moorhead on Wednesday. Now, Moorhead, obviously, he got he got NBA'd. He got Donahue'd. Um with Alabama fumbling on its first possession, not reviewed, and then a phantom block in the back flop that was wiped out a touchdown. But now, Mississippi but, State probably doesn't but, win that But game. then his guys threw some shots at Tua's knee, True. too. So. True. I'm not saying – I'm not excusing that, but I'm just saying – and again, should not, should that not be a flag? Is there not a rule against that in college football? I There's mean, not – the rules for roughing the based, passer based in, on, in, college, in the college game are, are much more open to interpretation and much more uh, liberal. Well, now in the NFL, you can't even hit the quarterback, so – yeah, there's, they're like, you can hit him exactly in the gut from this four inches, or that's the only part of the strike but, zone now. But you you see there's, like, something every week, you know, the Kentucky pass interference against Missouri. Like, you see a call that changes the game or that it's just egregiously bad, and it's like, you guys got to do something about this. Like, this, we can't have this. You know what I've been saying for years? Any more accountability. Public scoring of officials, public grading, and you go every year, every single year, you score every SEC official in all sports. You take the bottom 10% and they go down a conference. <laughs> and the top 10% from like the FCS ranks or whatever, they come on up and do that it, league. To me, man. that you do performance based. Everything else, players are performance based, right? Coaches, performance based. Yeah, if you, Administrators. If you're, if you're a player and, you, and you're not very good, you get ripped apart on a message board right. and Twitter. And if you're a coach and you're not very good, you get fired. If you're an administrator and you're not very good, you, you get, get, you get you fired. You think officials don't get all kinds of heck? 
all the time? We don't see it. How can we trust something well, we don't from, see? I'm saying from fans and stuff already. No, but I'm saying it's like a thankless job. No, it is. It is. It's a thankless job and it's a hard job. But what I'm saying is that doesn't mean that you get a free pass to suck no, at. No, no. And <laughs> free pass to suck. It's like we don't imagine like if there were something like if, in our like criminal justice system, if judges, like any time a judge got arrested, we never heard about it. It just it would just it was just kept quiet. How could and that's what the officials are, the judges there. Like, they have to be held to the highest standard imaginable. What? And if we want to, if we as as consumers of sports, us covering it and watching it, y'all sitting here listening to this, and again, some of you are probably referees and you're, you're high school referees and stuff, and you're going, oh, these jerks, and you're turning off. No, that's not what we're saying. We're saying don't suck at it. <laughs> that's what we're saying. Be good at it. And if you're good at your job, you should welcome public accountability you should maybe not the relegation part although i love that idea in basically any aspect of sports that you suggested but if you get below a certain score then you have to yeah aside from that though i think you should pitch that next year to steve shaw at sec media days and ask him why there isn't some sort of public accountability and see what he says that means we have to get there for that very first (laughs) don't don't they do that like 6 a.m or something stupid on the first day the, the the biggest issue i had this past week was the team wide on sports like conduct penalty we've got how many replay cameras? How many how many cameras are there? We've got a replay booth. Take two minutes. Look at who was involved. You don't have to, you know, you can just give everybody on the field one. You don't need to give everybody on the sideline one because then somebody that's not connected to it is one. You know, they get a sports like conduct penalty. They're gone. Like, that's ridiculous. That's, and that's lazy officiating. And and I get I get maybe the reason to do it is to kind of, okay, we're not, have, we're not putting up with any more of this chippiness. So next person that does it gets gone. I sure. get that. But. It's just lazy to just be like, oh, we'll give it to everybody. Give it to the people. It, give it, it to the guys on the field, or give it to the guys that are involved. Yeah, like if a guy's just standing there doing nothing, he shouldn't be penalized. And it's, for and that. it's, it's it, like the old warning in baseball to both benches, you know, when when you're throwing it, at and, each other. But you know, even you know, even in soccer, when a guy's given a yellow card, referee usually writes his number down on the back of the card. Mm-hmm. Like we can't have a, a, a list of numbers on both teams that have had personal foul. Someone asked me. Someone, someone asked me on the checkerboard on, on Go Vols twenty four seven what would have happened if there had been a second <laughs> incident like that where there were several players in a scrum. They said, "Would they have just ejected every player and given everyone in sportsmanlike conduct penalties on both teams?" I said, "No, they would have done what they should have done the first time, which is go back and actually figure out who so, did something wrong." And what was interesting is on the hail mary, like Tennessee's bench started like kind of spilling on the field a little bit. Like they had they had to like get guys off. They got a sideline warning for it. Yeah, but what if they had gotten a sideline warning? first time would have been a sideline warning again would have been on sports like conduct penalty for coming off the bench yeah i mean would the whole team have gotten suspended i mean like what like see i think in that situation (laughs) they would take all 22 players on the field and eject them is what they would do but the fact that that was even that would be crazy the fact that that was even a possibility is the biggest farce yeah of all this i agree with that when like four players could have been penalized probably and it would have been fine before we move on and talk about mizzou we just need to did need to mention i know that we tend to focus more on the game that's about to happen rather than the game that happened uh, and again, next year we're going to take a really long look at during the season, trying f- to find a way to release these on like Tuesday and Wednesday. I think there's just a lot more value to it then. And then if we have to keep a Friday podcast, we'll make that something else. Maybe just a recap with players' qu- quotes and stuff like that, interviews. But so I like having the idea of having the Friday morning podcast. That's what what we've done for a long time. But I think during the season, I'd like to have you know so we could have more time where. You know, it's not like it's it's one day away from Tennessee's next game, and we're talking a lot about the last game. But this was a big win; we had to talk about it, yep. so we had to we had to go down that route. Now, 
What we can do, though, is move forward and say that, guys, we've, we've, we've thought for years. For, for me personally, about six years ago, I wondered, would the great Derek Dooley Esquire ever make a return to Neyland Stadium as an opposing coach? And by gosh, this is that week. And if Tennessee hadn't beat Kentucky, how much more of a storyline would this be all week long? Derek Dooley coming back, coming back to Knoxville, which we're going to discuss in just a second. But first off, we're going to break down just Mizzou itself. Dooley is the offensive coordinator for that team. And, guys, I have – we all watch SEC football. That's our job, SEC and, and basketball, too, on this end. While, Ryan, you do more recruiting. And, Patrick, you do more football. And – we watch a lot of this stuff, so we see a lot of these teams as much as we can during the season. And it looks to me like Mizzou, at least for me anyway, I can't figure that team out. I've not watched all 10 of its games, but I've seen bits and pieces of probably six or seven of them just here and there, sometimes for almost a full game, sometimes just a quarter here and there, sometimes a half here and there. I can't for the life of me figure out, because this, this team's either one of two things. It's either really overachieving or really underachieving, and I can't tell which one it is. I can't tell if this team is so erratic because sometimes it just comes together and plays as one and plays out of its mind, or if sometimes it, it just plays the way it should and then the other times it just completely falls apart. Do you all have a read at all on what kind of team this Missouri team is? Because it seems like it, more so than most years. Other years, Missouri's come in to play Tennessee, and we've been able to say – this team is pretty darn good, like each champion good, or this team is really, really bad. But right now, there's just so many good things and so many bad things at the same time that I can't, I can't wrap my brain around this team. Well, I, we should have gotten TJ Mo on this week. I think they should be eight and two. So I think they've underachieved. First of all, if you're if you're ceiling, and if if Missouri's got Tennessee and Arkansas left, and they're six and four, so they could potentially finish eight and four. If the ceiling that you have as a program with with a quarterback like Drew Locke is eight and four, what does that say about your program? That's what and a lot what of fans it, will it, be saying. I'm what does sure. that say about the coaching job that your staff did? Yeah, probably not very good. I mean, I think they'll fire him next year when they go four and eight. Honestly. I mean, it, you know, they, you know, they're they're six and four. They could be eight and two. Let's let's look at the two games that they maybe should have won. South Carolina, they kicked a fifty-seven yard field goal with a minute eighteen left. You, if you have a road win, you have a, you have a lead in a road game with 118 left, you got to close that out. So they let South Carolina drive right down the field and kick a field goal to win the game. Missouri, a lot of people, including myself, point to the, the call at the end for the untimed down, the pass interference, questionable, should have been called. It was, it was OPI but, or nothing. But before that, Missouri's offense got – I don't think they got a first down in the second half. I think True. they went eight, three and outs. Which is inept, which is ridiculous with who they have on offense. That reminded then, me of that reminded me of a former and then, tennis, and like then a, with like a Tennessee then, era, former era Tennessee win. That's what that Kentucky and, win. And then when me of. with ninety seconds left on, on third down, Kentucky has one timeout left. Missouri throws the ball, trying to get a first down. When you shouldn't do that. I mean, you're up. What was the score? Fourteen and nine. Yeah. Like it, you you run the ball there. You make the team use their timeouts, and you make them not have a timeout when they drop back down the field. And the, Kentucky ended up calling that timeout. Uh, when they got sacked in the red zone right before the final sequence. So coaching cost Missouri that game. And, you know, on the same hand, they could be four and six because they beat, you know, their Purdue and Vanderbilt wins went down the final minute or final play, actually. So it's a hard team to get a read on. They're playing good right now, though. I mean, 
Drew Locke could come in here on Saturday and throw for 300 yards and three touchdowns. He could come in here and throw for three interceptions. Um, or both. Or both. So uh, a lot of – it's really hard to get a read on this team. I think Tennessee has an advantage on the sidelines on Saturday. Uh, I think they have a better coaching staff. Um, I think Missouri probably has a better team. And we'll just have to see, you know, how that plays out. Yeah, because people talk about Drew Locke and that Mizzou passing attack. Because anytime you have a first-round pick quarterback, people are going to talk about they're that They're running the ball game. a lot, though. But they beat Vanderbilt by just pretty much spreading the field and running the ball right up Vanderbilt's tailpipe for 60 minutes. So well, they can do that, too. To me, Jeremy Pruitt pointed out the big stat. It's a simple one, but it's an important one about this Missouri team. They've scored 29 points or more on everyone they've played but Alabama and Kentucky. And that's – that's going to be hard for Tennessee to overcome if they do that again. I mean, I think it just comes down to can Tennessee slow down Missouri's offense enough to keep this score manageable because it needs to be a 27-24, 24-20 kind of game for Tennessee to win, I think. So I think you've got to force Drew Locke into some mistakes. You've got to, you've got to stop their running game, which has gashed Tennessee the last couple of years. And, and you've, got to, you've got to basically follow up on what you've done the last two weeks, holding Charlotte and Kentucky to seven or fewer points, and hope that applies to a, a good offense in Missouri that can actually put up a lot of points. Yeah, Mizzou's kind of the ultimate survivor program in this league. You know, since they've come to the league, everybody thought, well, this was not a great Big 12 pro- team program. It was just okay. It's kind of a weird fit, just kind of a TV market grab. You know, is this really – you know, Missouri's weird anyway. It's it's not really Midwestern. It's not really Southern. It's not. It, it's hard to figure out kind of – it's its own kind of entity, geographically speaking. It's kind of there, you know, kind of isolated. But the, the one thing that you can say about this program is that it has been an absolute survivor since it's been in the SEC. And I think if you would have – how many years has it been in the league now? This is year seven. Seven. How many of those years would you say it has exceeded expectations? A lot more times than it has not. I think it's probably fair yeah, to say they've played in two SEC title games. Yeah, they've done, and and they just you know because you think about it, and I, and I know the East hasn't been historically great for a lot of that time period. And let's be honest, if you if the rest of the SEC East, like the the traditional powers of the East, you know, Georgia's doing what it should be doing now. Uh, maybe Florida and Tennessee both start heading in that direction again, where they should be, and then South Carolina's playing pretty pretty decent football. If those things are happening, hold up, hold up. South Carolina's playing decent football. No, did you like, see what they did on Saturday. I'm so, I'm talking like the past couple of years overall, they've been playing decent football. So when all those things are happening, that should make it really hard for Missouri because Missouri should kind of fit. Do we not agree that in an average year, the SEC East should be those three programs at the top, and then everybody knows the couple programs at the bottom, and then kind of Missouri and South Carolina are, are right there in between. That's kind of the way I look at it. I look at it as kind of a 3-2-2 deal. That's what it's been historically, but it hasn't been that way in a while. But I'm saying, like, if you if if you th- if every program is run as well as it could I, be run. I, I think Kentucky is a better program than Missouri long-term. Okay. Oh. I'll listen to I that. Mean, at least right now, at least. I mean, Stoops has done a good job there. Uh, they're they're about to go nine. I mean, Missouri was, what, one in five at this point, you know, midway through last season? They were talking about firing Barry Odom after two years. Yeah, because they rallied I mean, late. It's, it's, yeah, they rallied because Florida was a dumpster fire and because Tennessee was a dumpster fire. And who else did they play? Arkansas? That was three, three of their six Calling win. Calling Tennessee a dumpster fire is a little bit offensive to dumpsters <laughs> and fires. Good point. But uh, they went, what, seven and five in the last season? They never play anybody out of conference, so they always have four wins minimum. Um, and... And so last season, that's they, they, they four fought, wins, and then they took they, they took advantage of three teams that were in disarray at the end of the season. Yeah, they take that power. You know, you have to play a power five opponent rule, and they stretch it as far as you can by being like, 
And an average year, they're Purdue, like, they're like we'll it. take Purdue this time. You know what they should do is they should just go play Kansas every year. Missouri's a tough Surf, one. Not, Wouldn't checks that two boxes. be nice? Checks two boxes. You get a rivalry game and you get an easy win. Missouri's a tough one to me because they, if you look back over the years, they, they've got a lot of ups and downs and they've got a lot of eight-win seasons being their peak for a stretch, you know, just like Kentucky. Yeah. But then since 2007, they've won 10 games or more five times. That's, that's on a totally different level from anything Kentucky's ever done. So, um, and sorry, I sound terrible today, but that's, I, I think that's, I don't know. I put, I put Missouri probably a little bit ahead just because they've shown they can do it. They almost played a national title game well, and blew it. Well, Gary Pinkle is a great coach. First he, he of all, was. that's, that's post Gary Pinkle. I don't, I don't think that they're, I think they're going to be kind of wandering maybe, in the maybe. wilderness. I don't, I don't know that Odom is, is that great of a coach. Now he may, you know, he may prove me wrong, but you know, that might be fair. I mean, <clears throat> Missouri's shown over the years it can recruit. You know the Midwest I'm really well. Right, can, right now, if I'm buying, I would take Stoops over Odom if I was picking a coach. Oh, if those no are doubt. My two options. No doubt, so, I, I would too. What I know is that this. I think if you look at, you know, we've recorded this the the Football Friday podcast on Thursdays most of the most of the season, and I think this is only the second time in the season's first eleven games that it's a Thursday afternoon or Thursday late morning, depending on which week it was, and I. I still didn't quite know for sure which team I was picking because I don't. I'm going to have to have it picked by tonight when we all send our picks out for Friday morning to get them in the system and everything. Hey, but, last, I, but I don't. Who'd you pick last week? Uh, I picked the uh, the Wildcats of uh, Kentucky. How that how that turn out for you? Not great. Ryan, did you pick Kentucky? I picked Tennessee. You know what hey, I've so noticed? You know what I've noticed over the so years? Did Grant. I've noticed over the years that that it, it's probably this way with a lot of other fan bases, but you know I, I've mostly covered Tennessee here, obviously in my career, and I've noticed that when you pick Tennessee to win and it loses, you're not an idiot. Nobody cares. You're not an idiot. But when so you pick Tennessee to lose and Tennessee wins, you sir are an idiot. And as long as you know that, and it, I think it makes it worse because I put. I pretty much admitted in the picks last week that you I were was being a pansy. Pansy. I was like, I just, I look at these matchups and I just, I can't do it because I said there are a lot of things Tennessee had to do to win that game. And by God, Tennessee did every single one of those things. And you know what? You know what that says? That says that the guy on the sideline knows what he's doing because he could look at the situation and he could say, okay, if there's three to five things I have to do in this game, what are they? And you can do, I mean, normally if you can bat like 75% or 66% on those things you have to do, you got a, you got a chance. If you do 100% of those things, you're probably going to win. And Tennessee did absolutely everything it had to do, including despite turning the ball over twice in the fourth quarter, also forced two turnovers in the, in the fourth quarter. They ne- every time they needed to play, they made one. They forced three in the fourth quarter, I think. I thought it was two. Two Osborne picks and then Taylor had a sack fumble. You're right. So even there, plus one, plus one in the fourth quarter. That's do that's checking off a box. You're doing your job. And it's just they did, but congratulations to them because we do every week we do that five questions thing where we talk about And by we you mean you. I don't like to talk about me personally. I'm saying we as a team. And I get input sometimes. There are times where I get input where I say, Hey, do y'all have any thinking any of these are stupid or think it should be changed? And sometimes y'all have said, yeah, change this to that. And I'm like, cool, yeah, and I do that. So it is a we, so shut your mouth, friend of me. But Hashtag triggered. A little bit, yeah. And so <laughs> you, you – but when you look at it and you see all five of those things being answered as check, 
you're probably in pretty good shape. Now, a team like Alabama, you could check all five of those boxes and still lose. Maybe Georgia, you could check all those five boxes and still lose. But the rest of the league, if you check off, if you have five things to do and you do all five of those things, you're probably going to win. And Tennessee, despite having a smaller margin for error, I think, than Kentucky did in that game, won that game pretty comfortably. And there were a couple of uh, interesting uh, football chart decisions, standard football chart decisions made by made by Stoops, not his finest hour as a coach. He might need a calculator uh, on his – I wonder if he's got like an Apple Watch or a smart watch. He needs to, he needs to do that. Just I'm telling you, you, when you are down, when you are down by 18 and you score a touchdown in, in, late in the third quarter, you go for two. Unless the game's like 50 to 40-something, you're, you, you're not going to be a lot of points in that game. You're going to have to go for two. They that were just in, made no sense. Yeah, they were in that game mathematically until the end, basically, if they'd gone for two and gotten it. And instead, they didn't, and they were out of it with six well, minutes to go. Well, I mean, the, the mistake was is you're down 24. That's three touchdowns, three two-point conversions, hashtag math. So you should go for two at that point late in the third quarter. And it, was, it turned out to be a big miscue because on the next series, they drive down the red zone. You're down, if you're down 17, you need a field goal at some point. So you take it there. And, of course, Kentucky did, and they got it blocked. And so if, if it's – Because Shai a field goal swatting machine. If it's 24 to 8 or if it's 24 to 6, you probably go for it there. So bad coaching. Uh, my biggest question for Tennessee this week is is defensively, can, can they stop the run against a team that will spread them out and has the threat to throw the ball? Um, we've, we've seen Tennessee uh, – they got lit up by Will Greer and they got lit up by Tua. But so is everybody. So they're everybody except Iowa State. Um, so can they do to Drew Locke kind of what they did to F- Jake Fromm and kind of what they did to Jarrett Stidham where they kind of get them rattled, get, get them off rattled. their game a little bit. Uh, to do that, they're going to have to uh, – it's going to have to start from the sideline. They're going to have to confuse him, give him some different looks, take away his first read, um, and make Locke go through his progressions because – some people still think that that's maybe where he struggles a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they have to get pressure on him. And if they can get, you know, if they can somehow get Daryl Taylor to reproduce what he did last week again, which Daryl Taylor is sixth in the league in sacks. And he, had sa- he has sacks in two games and zero in the other eight. So uh, we'll have to see if that happens. But um, that's the best chance they've got because Missouri can run the ball. And the way Missouri's offense is, where they spread it out and run it, that's where those are kind of the teams that, that have given Tennessee trouble some this year. And it's it's a tough week if Tennessee were to have to play without Bryce Thompson. It's a really tough week yeah. for that to happen. But, you know, so far Jeremy Pruitt's been pretty optimistic about Thompson's chances. You know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see coming off what looked like a concussion probably uh, Saturday against Kentucky. But I, th- they need him. This is not a week you want to be testing the, the secondary depth, I don't think. Yeah, and, and it'll be interesting to see what they do if they don't have Thompson because uh, they may have to kick Baylen Buchanan out back to corner in their nickel and dime package. They're going to be in the nickel and dime pretty much, I'll say, 85 90% of the game. And so what are they going to do? Are they going to slide Abernathy down? They've got Trayvon Flowers back. Are they going to put him in at safety? Are they going to keep Abernathy at safety where he's he's been a little bit more effective? Uh, are they going to trust Abernathy in coverage? You know, Can they get similar – Solid play from a week ago from Theo Jackson. He had a couple pass breakups on third down last week. What do they get from Schamberger? Obviously, guys like Marco Osborne, even DJ Henderson will have to be ready just in case something happens. So, um, but yeah, they definitely they definitely need Thompson back because Missouri's got Emmanuel Hall is their big guy. Um, obviously, Albert. I'm not even going to try to say his name. Alberto, the tight end, he's not going to play. So that's that's a benefit for Tennessee. But hey-o. but but Missouri still has plenty of 
weapons uh, and wide receivers that can that are going to be tough covers in, in Tennessee. Uh, we've seen them be good in coverage at times, and some of those sacks a week ago against Kentucky were down to coverage. Um, and then we've seen times where teams have been able to sort of pick on 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 guys one on one a little bit. So uh, how how much you know is it fifty fifty or, or does Tennessee win more battles than they lose? Kind of how that goes will will determine if if they're able to. Uh, slow Missouri down. They've got to. They've got to play really sharp because they can't have any busts that, that give a big place. Because that you can't give a, a team that has the potency that Missouri does easy, easy big place. Now before we t- before we talk tell our favorite Derek Dooley story, I think there's one really interesting note from Pruitt uh, pressers and stuff that has emerged this week. Is um, well, I guess the first thing would be that it looks like uh, Bryce Thompson will be okay to play. We'll mention that just make sure. But Prude is not a doctor. Let's, no, he's, he's not, not. But he he said that him and and Flowers, Trayvon Flowers, or could both be available for that game. We'll see if they actually are. Um, but also, really quickly, Patrick, you you were you and Ryan have both talked about doing something on this. Is the the really interesting question that that Prude got about some of the stuff they're doing in practice these days with their with their uh, kind of third team, fourth team guys, the walk on, some of the freshmen that are redshirting. Some pretty cool stuff that they're doing in, in practices the past few weeks. Yeah, I think it's three or four weeks now where on Mondays and Tuesdays they've taken 15, 20, 25 minutes <clears throat> at the end of practice to focus on youth development. Um, and, and it's not just scout team. It, it proved, I think, said on Vol Calls last week that it's a lot of twos and it's even maybe some starters. And mm-hmm. it's probably all uh, a lot of freshmen, a lot of sophomores because this team is, this roster is more than almost 65% freshmen and sophomores. So it's a young roster in terms of. Uh, just class. So uh, on Mondays, they usually are, are doing a lot of individual sort of drill stuff. Uh, and as you pointed out uh, last night, or Wednesday night, I should say, um, some of these guys that have been on the scout team, guys like Greg Emerson, Croc uh, Garland in some cases, they haven't done individual drills with their position coach, with Tracy Rocker, since the season started because they've been doing scout team stuff and they've been given, you know, they're the service team. Like in a practice, when we see practice, Greg Emerson's with the offensive line. So you, don't, so you don't actually get to go with your own position coach. Yeah, yeah. so you, you haven't had those sort of position drills um, that you were doing all through camp. And if you were here in the spring, in the spring, you weren't doing all that. You haven't, you haven't been doing all that for the past however many weeks. You might have done a little bit during the open date when you have a little bit more time to focus on your own team. But if you're on the scout team, that's, that's your main focus. And so they've been doing that on Mondays. And then Tuesdays, they practice in full pads on Tuesdays. And so at the end of those practices, they've been kind of just doing a little bit more, put the ball down and scrimmage a little bit. So they've been doing a little bit of that. And um, I, I think it's, first of all, I, I asked Prude about this on Wednesday, like kind of how did you get started? Did you guys do this anywhere where you were? He said it was Philip Fulmer's idea, which is interesting because, you know, Fulmer obviously knows what he you know knows what he's doing. It's an interesting take. And, uh, you know, we wondered with a first-year coach, you always wonder – how much do they, I don't say rob Peter to pay Paul, but how much do they want to focus on the future? And we see, you know, if a team season's going down the, down the tubes, why not just play the young guys, all that stuff? You know, we hear that a lot of times. Yeah. Well, it looks like this staff is finding a way to finish strong. You know, they've got, they've got a chance to go 7-5 and five and maybe, you know, win out November. And That's yet, th- yet, th- yet they are still putting, you know, still having an eye on the future and developing guys, particularly on the defensive line, particularly guys like like Emerson, like Karad Garland, like a Matthew Butler, Mincy, John Mincy, some of those guys that on the defensive line where you're losing four seniors, you may need those guys. Guys like J.J. Peterson, he can't get enough reps right now because he came in late. 
you know, even even the likes of Flowers and Thompson and Taylor and some of those guys. I mean, they're still freshmen. They're still developing. And so uh, you give those guys chances, you guys on offense, maybe maybe like a Cedric Tillman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, just guys like, you know, the, the offensive line, they need as much work as they can get, obviously. Um, Jerome Carvin's a guy. You know, you, you think about all the all, some of these guys that that will benefit from this, and it's good because not only at this point in the season, I mean, you look at practice yesterday, you got – Everybody's got an ankle taped, knee brace, shoulder brace. Everybody's beat up this time of year. And so if you ease back on the workload a little bit, you're also benefiting your current team physically yeah, while also kind of developing and getting some more work for your younger players. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do if they do get ball practices. How many practices are they going to devote towards kind of being like camp and spring practices where they have four groups rolling mm-hmm. two at a time? all bunch mm-hmm. of reps or do they focus on the opponent i would think they would probably do a lot more of the former than the latter just because they're trying to build something here and have an eye on next season yeah this staff does does a better job or, or does more than any i've ever seen of having pretty good players guys who normally would be getting like second and third team reps and in individual drills those guys often go practice against the other teams the other side starters they do that more than any other team i've been around and the reason for that is simple you're trying to give better competition to your starters on a daily basis, and you're trying to give those guys that are the twos and threes better competition. Let them go against the starters. I mean, if you want to see if a young guy can do it and you don't want to really trust them enough to put him in a game yet, what do you do? Well, line him up a defensive line and put him against your first-team offensive line in practice, and if he can whip them, then, hey, he's got a chance to go out there. Maybe you give him a chance to, to go do something in a game. So it makes all the sense in the world, and I, I really, really like that strategy. One other quick thing was that they – I noticed this from Pruitt, and he he meant he made hints to this when he was hired, but I hadn't heard him come out really and say it until uh, this week, was that they have lifted weights during the season as hard as you would normally lift weights in the off season, And he said that he knew that might cause some issues, but that basically this team had to get bigger and stronger, and the only way to do that, you know, the other teams aren't going to stop, so you have to find extra time to work to get your work in to get to where they are eventually. If that means you have to sacrifice some things in your first year, hey, that is what it is. They're trying to think big picture here. And despite doing all that, this team kind of looks like it's getting – still playing some of its best ball late in the season despite not having a ton of depth and despite um, being some young guys in some spots. They're out there making some plays. They're, they're, they're not fading right now. A couple of them are, but most of them are, are playing some of their best ball right now. And I think that's a huge credit to Craig Fitzgerald and that strength staff. I think they've done a great job with these guys. And, and, and we talk about player development. I mean, look at look at the game against Kentucky. They got guys like Kevon Bennett making an impact. Yep. Shannon Reed's getting in the game. Marquill Osborne, two picks. Fourth yeah. Quarter. Osborne, Theo Jackson had a couple of nice plays. Um, the offensive line that that you know has been maligned and has been without two of their you know two starters and their best player played really well. I think two of their three best players probably have been out. So I mean. Yeah, I mean, you just you, you look at that, and I mean, it, it, that's a great coaching job, and it's a great job. Jordan Murphy's another guy that sort of came out of nowhere dealing with some injuries. So they're finding ways to get Man, guys ready looked, to chip in. He looked like a big season. time player in camp. He looked like a guy in camp who could make I mean, some big plays. Yeah, yeah, if, he had, if he hadn't been injured, I think he would have been playing more already. Feels a me is a guy that they moved and are getting something out of him. They used a jet sweep, give him a ball on a jet sweep, mm-hmm. and then they set that play up to, to hit Tim Jordan on a scene on a great design. So. Beautiful play call. Uh, staff is is doing a good job developing players and 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 
players themselves last week, they especially defensively, they're flying around. They look confident. They look like they knew what they're doing. But Thule's looking the pretty offense, fresh and you know, know, running around hard. Garantano's always kind of worn his emotions on his sleeve, but you know he's he's dusting his shoulders off, woofing it up with Josh Allen, who he knows. Uh, they're two New Jersey guys, so they a lot of known. swag from Garantano last yeah. week. Uh, you, you notice that a little bit more Auburn, I mean, a against lot of t- Auburn too. Against Auburn too, when he's done that, it's usually they've won games. Yeah, and it's it's hard to have swag when you, it's hard to lift your arms up over your shoulders because you've yeah. been your your ribs and your midsection are hurting so much. Yeah, but the, you just threw a touchdown pass, swag a little bit. I can't, man. I can't. It, move. it hurts too much. I can't move. So yeah, that that's hey, kudos to them, and they they've done. I think a pretty good job. They're rotating in a few more D linemen late in the season to give those guys some some reps. They're they're pulling the strings as coaches about as intelligently as as you could want them to. They're doing a really nice job, and, and I think they deserve credit for it. And, and but at this point, there's still work to be done. If, if they get to five and five and then lose these last two games, lose again to Vanderbilt, it'll it'll leave a sour feeling about this season. It absolutely will. And and, and so that's why Tennessee's got to. Got to find a way to get yeah. one more. You're two wins away from potentially being the SEC Coach of the Year, and you're two losses away from people around here just questioning everything about you in the offseason. So that's what's at stake the next two weeks. That That's the potential high and the potential low of the next two weeks. So very, very important. Before we move on and, – and, and there will be no overreactions to either one. No, none. Never. Overreaction, never. Never. Ever. Why would that ever happen? Uh, we are going to get to recruiting before we get out of here. We're also going to get to Grant's Gun Show question of the week. I've actually got a, a, a pretty good – there's a pretty good, pretty good nominee in there right now that, that we're going to have some fun with, I think. That, that one might be the winner. But uh, before we get there, uh, do y'all want to talk recruiting or favorite Dooley story first? Uh, let's briefly touch on Dooley. All right. All right, favorite Dooley story. I'll, I'll start. Um, this is my first year. It's 2011, my first year at the Times Free Press in Chattanooga. I was still kind of figuring out what the heck I was doing. Um, this was like an early September practice, maybe like first or second week of the season. Um, and Malik Jackson, who USC transfer, I think, I think this was his second year in 2011, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, so he, he had established himself as probably one of their best defensive players. Well, he wasn't at practice one day, and uh, Dooley talked to the media after practice. This is back when we actually used to do interviews on the field. Uh, and after practice, he walks was walking out, and I think it was me and two or three other guys. Wes, you might have been one of them. Um, and I, I, Derek didn't get asked why Malik wasn't there during the group session. And so I was like, hey, hey Derek, why, why wasn't Malik at practice today? And his exact quote uh, was his tummy was hurting and his mommy wasn't here to give him a hug. To which he said that, and I was like, can I write that? Or do you want that out there? And he was like, yeah. <laughs> just not even, just didn't even care. Um, and then, yeah, he added, I've never seen a great defensive lineman whose tummy hurts and he didn't practice. So this is a guy that would go on to be a pro bowler. He was a pro bowler last year. And a guy, you know, I don't know if Malik, Malik probably thought that was funny. No, he, probably, he, probably gave, he probably gave Dooley a bunch of crap, too. So, um, But I just remember being like, can I report that? And he was like, yeah. Yeah, because everybody, <laughs> everybody else would call him Coach. Looked to me like I was crazy for asking if he could report it. Everyone else always called him Coach Dooley, and Malik was always like, hey, Dooley. <laughs> no, he never said Coach Dooley. He was always like, hey, Dooley. Made me laugh. Well, one of my favorite things about Dooley wasn't necessarily a specific instance. It was what he did basically for an entire year, as I recall. I think this was maybe the 2012 season. Our – our protocol for covering practice used to change much more year to year. And that, and I that think was the year they were in the morning, weren't they? Yeah, I think this was the year oh, that they that had, year they changed the entire class schedule so that players could practice in the morning. Coaches loved it because they could spend the, the afternoon meeting and recruiting and doing all the things they needed to do. And get home earlier. And get home earlier. And, uh, and But Dooley, and maybe he did this for more than a year, but he would come in after practices. And most coaches come off the practice field, they're in their practice gear, in their visor. They hold their 
their press conference or media scrum right there on the field or whatever. Dooley came in, and we would have to wait up to 45 minutes on him sometimes because he would go upstairs and shower and change clothes. And get the hair quaffed perfectly. And get his hair fixed before he would meet with media. And I, th- I thought that was just the most, that was the maybe the best explanation of kind of who Derek Dooley is sometimes uh, more than maybe anything he ever said in a press maybe conference. too smart for his own good. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll tell two quick stories. They are one is uh, – First off, he's the most creative cusser that I've ever ex- known. Like not and not, like and trust me, I am the son of a construction of a contractor named Rawhide. So I have heard every bad word that exists on the planet at one point or another in my life, and I have heard some really creative cusses from a lot of creative people. Uh, Dooley put words together that still to this day I really wish we could mention them here on this show, but we won't. The but one on the cold, sure. the one on the cold morning at Neyland was an all time. Oh God, the the way that he used to talk about this, the kickers and punters. Oh man, some of them were just gold. But there's there's I guess two stories I'll tell. One of them is I had written something that he didn't like, and so we had one of our kind of post post practice uh, powwows in his office, and. Um, I walk in there, and as soon as I walk in the door, first thing I hear is, damn it, Wes. I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. And so I sit down, and he proceeds to tell me the story he was that he wasn't happy. And he goes, you know what? You know, what? he goes, we got, like, we got like three guys around here. We got like three reporters around here who aren't idiots. You're one of them. I expect more from you. I'm not even mad. I'm disappointed. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. You ain't my dad, Derek. To which he replied, Damn right I'm not. If I were, I would have killed myself. I was like, okay, that's a good one. So that, that was one of them. Um, the eye patch one was always good. What are you, a pirate? No, I had an eye thing. Hold on. You look like a pirate. You told Derek Dooley you ain't my dad? Yeah. He said I'm not. He goes, we have only a couple few guys around here, reporters, who are not idiots. You're one of them. He you complimented know, I expect, you. I expect more. It was a, it was a backhand, backhand compliment. compliment. Absolutely. But. And then he said, you know, I'm not even mad. I'm disappointed. I was like, whoa, you ain't my dad. And so the other one was, I don't think it's much of a secret. Now, normally I, I keep this stuff only on Facebook, and I'm only mentioning this because it adds to the story. Um, but let's just say Derek Dooley and I did not, um, we did not, we were, we were not aligned politically. I'll put it that way. Um, he felt he was fairly right of center. I was fairly left of center. And so we, he found this out one day, and it became like an ongoing conversation for like months about what everything that was wrong with me because of my choice for party affiliation. And one day in the office, this was just out of, out of nowhere. We were talking about something else, probably some other story I wrote that he didn't like. And he just looked at me, and he gave me the other one of his, you know, you damn liberal. I was like, come on, man, that ain't got nothing to do with this. He's like, sure it does. You want to take all my money? I went, I don't want to take all your money, no. But sure you do. Sure you do. You want to take all my money, all money I worked hard for. I'm like, eh, you were born in a country club. Let's keep this a little bit real here. But and then I said, no, 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 Derek, it's, it's a social contract, right? You just pay a little bit more so we can have roads and schools and stuff. Come on, man. How much money? I know how much money you're making. I see your contract here. I hear my laptop. Dude, you're doing fine. Shut up. And uh, then he would argue. He would start arguing to me about percentages of tax codes over the next couple months. It was ra- like he just he could talk about tax codes. He could talk about, like, ancient Greek mythology. He, he could talk about, like, the Russian Revolution. He could talk about any war that ever happened. Random science. Like, you never knew 
what you were going to get when you walked in that office to talk to him. And he was not the best football coach I've ever covered, but by God, he was the smartest. Uh, that dude, because you see a lot of football coaches that just only think, talk football, right? I think I know who the dumbest is. Well, yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> but it's like, and even some coaches who are like really good football coaches, that, that's their entire life, right? Like that's all they know. I mean, they, they, they might know their kids' middle names, maybe, or their birthdays. They probably get a f- reminder on their phone from their wife about it. But they just are, you know, they say all the time, football is what I, what I do, not who I am. It is who a lot of them are. There's not a lot of depth there. Derek actually had a law degree and had a lot of interests that had nothing to do with sports, kind of like Mike Leach does. And that made for fascinating conversation because you could, you know, if you, if you could talk about anything, of course, he was, he's arrogant, so he, th- he always think he knew the answer. But he was a smart guy. He's a smart guy. It's not like he died. He's, he's a smart guy. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see him back in the league. I still think I will forever contend this, that if there are a couple things about that guy's personality that he will tweak, if he will stop thinking he's the smartest person who walks into every room because of his organizational skills, because of his intellect, he could be a good head football coach. There Mm -hmm. are still people in this business to this day. There are people in this business, other coaches, other people around the sport, former players who say that guy could be an awesome head coach one day. He still could. Because he's not that old yet, so he, he's got a chance. That's gonna be, that's gonna be fun. Before we get to the, uh, before we get to the question uh, of the week, which will be a fun debate to end on. Uh, it is recruiting time, Ryan. I know your voice is, uh, yeah, is a little bit banged we'll, up today. You got we'll soldier through it. Rule number seventy six: no excuses. Play like a champion. That's right. It is a big weekend recruiting for Tennessee. Hey, final final home game of the year, Senior Day. So yeah. a lot of guys, uh, or not maybe a lot of guys, but some important guys coming in town. It seems like. Yeah, and, and they've had some important guys in town recently, too. Let's face it, uh, the last two weekends, you've had Quavaris Crouch, the five-star athlete, uh, John Emery Jr., the five-star running back, who, of course, commits to LSU two days after he goes home. But still, uh, impressive to get those guys in town. Uh, before that, five-star Auburn linebacker commitment Owen Papo, uh, visit for the Charlotte game. So they've, they've been getting some momentum, clearly, with some of these guys, and, and now it's paying off in the form of visits uh, that we're we're going to see this weekend, um, you know, we'll we'll see. There are going to be some more names added to the list. I think by the time, probably by the time this podcast uh, is released. Uh, but even some of the names we've heard so far, you know, Trayvon Walker, five star Georgia defensive line commitment, uh, Nolan Smith, uh, a five star Georgia defensive end linebacker commitment, the number one player in the country in twenty four seven sports rankings. Those guys are probably long shots for Tennessee, but you're getting them on campus big-time players that, that people are going to be talking about the fact they're visiting Tennessee. So even if you get nothing but good press out of this and, and, and guys go home and tell their, their teammates in future classes, hey, I had fun at Tennessee, you're still getting some benefit out of that. So we'll see if they can make the most of those opportunities, but they're getting them on campus. One, another Georgia commitment, Tresman Marshall, a, a top 100 player, four-star linebacker from South Georgia. This one I think Tennessee has got a little bit more of a shot He's a teammate, former teammate of John Mincy. He's been to Tennessee twice this year already. He's coming back for a third time now, and it's an unofficial visit because he's already taken an official visit to Tennessee this year. So I think Tennessee at least has a fighting chance at him. And then we'll see, does a guy like Jaden Hazelwood end up visiting this weekend? There's been some talk of that, uh, the five-star wide receiver from Georgia. 
you know, he's just kind of a just kind of like a prestigious New England prep school name that he's got. He he, he does he does, and uh, I'll be sure to tell him that if I happen to talk to him soon. Like he sounds like he's like I'm planning on I'm picking between Harvard and Yale. <laughs> well, he's, he decommitted from Georgia last month. It looks like Tennessee, you know, maybe Miami, Oklahoma, Auburn, Georgia. Those are kind of the five main contenders now. Georgia's still in it, but a lot of people don't think he ends up back there. Obviously, since he went to the trouble of of decommitting, so. Some big names, and that's just a kind of a sampling of what we're going to have uh, to report, I think, on Friday when we release our complete list for the week. But it's uh, it's been impressive to see Tennessee not only get back in the race for some of these guys, but to to get some of them on campus. I think they're going to get some of these guys back on campus again. You know, another guy they had on campus last week, Justin Iboibi, the four-star Alabama defensive end commitment from Georgia. You know, they're still going to have to battle for him, but they got him on campus on an official, an unofficial visit. They still have a chance to maybe push for an official visit later on. We'll see if they can do that. But when you start maybe having a chance to get repeat visits down the stretch, you know that's when you have a real shot to land some of these guys. Owen Papo still may take an official visit to Tennessee in the coming weeks. Uh, and there's certainly some very real momentum Tennessee has with Papo right now. So a lot of buzz. I know people are saying, you know, is this real? Are they really going to get some of these guys? Or is it going to be like last year? Are they going to strike out on some of these big fish down the stretch? I think they're going to get some of these players. You know, we'll we'll see. There's still a lot to be decided over the next several weeks, but uh, you know, I think right now they're in good enough shape with some of these guys they've been pushing for that Tennessee is probably going to have a, a pretty exciting finish, and that doesn't even include guys like Darnell Wright, the five-star offensive tackle. Again, it's been talked about that he could visit this weekend. No word yet on whether he'll make the trip, but Tennessee's continued to to be kind of the the team most talked about with Darnell Wright. So. They've positioned themselves to have a, pr- a pretty good chance at a, at a really nice stretch run. We'll see if they take advantage of it. But again, as you said, Wes, a, an impressive list of visitors, and it might be the premier visit weekend in, in the Southeast, really. There's not many good games this week. They're kind of taking advantage of that, and, uh, and it's bringing a lot of top players to Knoxville. Before we leave, we will get to, as promised, and, and remember, the ground rules here, pretty uh, pretty simple. They are... If you are the winner, declared the winner of Grant's Gun Show Question of the Week, your prize is better than anything money can buy. If you see Govoss 24-7 zone Grant Ramey around town, let's say you see him at the uh, out there at Foothills Mall in, uh, in Blount County where he lives. Let's see him, you, you see him walking around downtown Blount County. Let's say you see, you see him walking around either campus uh, before a basketball or football game. Let's see you're, you're there on the field Saturday. You see him before the game or after the game. You stay around. You wait till we walk out there to do our post-game stuff. You see him. If you win this and you tell Grant, two tickets to the gun show, please, Grant has to stop whatever he's doing and flex his muscles just for you. That is the Grant's gun show question of the week. Uh, this is the second-place contender for this week. We've got two, um, the one that's like an honorable mention slash second place. Uh, it is from uh, – who is it from? It is from uh, Loud Noises. Kirby Smart has assembled a really good staff at Georgia. He seems to be a really strong evaluator of player potential as well. Any theories on why his good assessment skills haven't led him to a better barber? I can't tell if he's going Mm. for the Lloyd Christmas look or the Andy Stitzer look. So, personally, I'd recommend Dooley's guy. That dude's hair is immaculate. First first of all, I did not know... I did not know the last name of, of Andy and 40-Year-Old Virgin. I did not know the last name of Steve Carell's character. Was I supposed to know that? I've seen that movie dozens of times. Sounds like Andy. No, a- Andy Dwyer's obviously. That's Parks well, and Rec. What was the it's name? Parks and Rec. What was the name again? Stitzer. Stitzer. I couldn't have told you that. That's very <laughs> impressive. 
it, loud, loud noise could be making it up for a I, I bet he IMDb'd it. That's what I'm guessing. Had to. Probably. Um, why has Kirby Smart? That's maybe, the second one. Maybe, maybe Mrs. Smart has a thing for that kind of hairstyle. It's it's the same problem as, what's his name, Mark Davis, the Oakland Raiders owner, the son of Al Davis. He goes, he drives, or flies, I guess, hundreds of miles to Southern California from the Bay Area to get his hair cut in what literally is a bowl cut. It's a specific barber that he goes to. Just Pro- to pro- probably the only one left who will do that to someone's head. Yeah. It's like, what, I said, it's like I said, when my brother walked in his senior year of high school and wa- he'd been growing his hair out for months and he went into the barbershop and he said, I'll have the mullet. <laughs> and they started laughing and he went, no, really. I, 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 need, I need flow coming out the back of the baseball helmet. Sounds, I need, sounds I need, like a record move. I, like I it, want like the he, mullet. I like it that he ordered it like a menu yeah, item at exactly, a restaurant. Exactly what he did. He walked in, I'll have the mullet, please. I think he probably said, please, we were raised properly. And so why doesn't he have a better barber? Why does he keep – how many well, how many Kirby Smart is – is he one of those guys who lives so much in a vacuum that he doesn't see that everyone in the world wants him to get a haircut? Well – Loud has, has said he should get Derek Dooley's guy, but not everybody clearly has has Derek Dooley's hairstyle. That's genetics, man. Dooley I mean, goes to genetics. different Dooley goes to different places. He addressed this in his uh, yeah. sit down with Clay Travis. He, a he went years to ago. Frank's in he, Knoxville. He didn't did he? go to Frank's. Yeah. I go to Frank's in Knoxville. I haven't gone to Frank's in a while. If you have, if you've yeah. seen me, you know. Getting yeah, getting um, getting a little getting a little uh, getting a little uh, you know what's the word I'm looking for here. A little bushy right but, now. But Dooley did say that one of the hardest things about coaching is finding a new guy everywhere you go. Because you you can't it's not logistically possible to I, go around, go back out of town to a barber. So you you got to find your own guy. You know if you go from Shreveport to Knoxville, got to find a new see, barber. See, but but Dooley Dooley to continue along with the Steve Carell uh, theme. Uh, in Evan Almighty, when he's shaving, when he you know, yeah. he's being made to grow a beard, and he shaves, and he thinks the hair's gone, and he looks back up, and it's back. Or like the Santa Claus, if you're you know it's Christmas time is coming up, you know he's trying to shave, but the facial hair keeps coming back. It's like that with Derek Tooley's hair. Like, he goes to a haircut. He goes and get a haircut at a barbershop. Doesn't matter who the barber is. Doesn't matter where he is. He cuts it. It's still going to look immaculate. It's still going to look great. It's, it's still going to be perfect. The, dude's I got, mean, the dude is the, he's the best quaffed. He's like a, uh, like a, you know how the Premier League soccer players always have, like, perfect hair and it never moves. And, like, it's all, despite they're running around all sweaty and, like, their hair still just doesn't move. And it's still in that same cool style. Dooley doesn't have one of their haircuts, but it's the same principle. Like he could probably, like he gets out of the shower, probably shakes his head, and it goes right into that quaff. <laughs> exactly. I think you know, <laughs> no matter who cuts it, and, it goes right back into and, that. And he state. Probably, probably doesn't use any product. It's just naturally kind of got that that little that nice shine, that yeah. little veneer to it. It's be, it's the most beautifully quaffed man hair I think I've ever seen. Congratulations for that, Derek Dooley. <laughs> but here is the uh, the winner of first of all, shout out to Loud. For a great question. Yeah, it was a great question. And we don't know about that. We don't know an answer. Maybe it's just that no matter when he cuts his hair, it just naturally falls back into that f- falling and, and, over the, and, and, the, the, the frat bro, falling over the visor. And, and later in the thread, Loud basically admits defeat by saying that he wanted to hear us discuss uh, in detail the answer to this next question that you have deemed the winner. Well, yeah. I, I, I will say we should ask Rusty Manziel of, of uh, Dogs 24-7 to find out the answer to that. Or just call into the coach telecross next next week. Hey, Kirby, how, when was the last time you had a different haircut? Just curious. I don't know. Late in the season. We'll see. The uh, the winner, though, for this week's Grant Gun Show question of the week uh, comes from it, it comes from jhig0531 on GoVols 24-7's checkerboard, the best website in the history of ever, where you can get all the Vols information you want for the low, low price of less than one mediocre lunch per month. Uh, here's the question. 
Quote, since Mike Leach was asked a similar question, who would win in an all-out brawl between SEC coaches? Is Pruitt top three? To answer the second question first, yes, I believe he would be in the top three. Um, But it's fascinating to see who those three spots would be. Uh, Debate engaged. Uh, Well, I think there's more coaches who we could rule out right away. Saban, too too short. Uh, Dan Mullen, have you seen his cheesy photos? Kirby Smart, have you seen his hair? Yeah. No. Uh, Not happening. There, there are a couple of guys that uh, – Jimbo Fisher, I love his, like, old man readers on the sideline look. But, no, he that would be no good in a fight. Um, so, my question – I think Pruitt is definitely top three. Number one, we all know. Pruitt doesn't, doesn't – I don't think he, he would fight dirty. He's, he he kind of puts off this all oh, shuck southern mm-hmm. persona, but he's really smart. And so I think he would know where to where to fight you. And plus, if he had yeah, to, if I'd he l- had to get street and had to get dirty, he could. I'd my biggest questions that. are two guys. The IQ test for Pruitt would reveal a pretty sharp guy. Yeah. Yeah. My my biggest questions uh, are how many Red Bulls has re- as Ed Orgeron yes. had. I Great. think he's number one without question. And how angry is Will Muschamp on this given day? I got because I got a dark horse here, Derek Mason. Well, Mason probably is could probably lift a. a yeah, he probably win the bench press competition. Yes. I don't know. Ogre can and probably since, still bench press a million pounds. But again, it decides, it decides on how. Well, I don't know. Mason's got shorter arms. I feel like he's probably. not a big guy. I don't think Pruitt quite cracks the top three, but I think he's he's in there until close to the end. I think he's staying in the top four or five probably. I think Muschamp, Orgeron, and Mason would be my final three. Well, here here is here's there's two wild boys. There's two for me that definitely. Go on the list. I mean, are, are we talking like Ed Orgeron like ripped his shirt off? Like, is he in that mode? Listen, if he's in that mode, he's the runaway winner. Ogre's yes. insane. Because Ogre... most of the other coaches will be like, uh-uh, I'm not dealing with that. Ogre gets the top spot. Then my second one is interesting, um, but I think he's a given for me on this list, uh, and that is Barry Odom at Missouri. Ooh. Because Barry Odom is still just 40 years old and was a four-year middle linebacker at the University of Missouri, and he's still just 40, and he still looks like he could – bench press a house i would bet plus a former defensive coordinator former former big 12 i guess it was at that point linebacker that dude i don't know if he's ever going to be above a 500 coach uh, overall but by god i bet he could fight that guy he gets my second spot so then it comes down to two guys for me for that final spot and these two guys are good friends and that's what makes it interesting i think pruitt and boom would be fighting it out for the number three spot because if you've seen when 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 Boom gets angry, that's a like a lot. That's like a it's incredible Hulk kind of stuff. It's like one step short of Butch Jones turning purple. That's how angry Boom gets. Boom well, gets mad. Well, how, let's let's how did, let's remember how he got that nickname. There was a, a video of him. Was it at Tech? No, it was at Auburn. Auburn. Yeah. And they get a stop, and you can hear him on the on the sideline mic saying "Boom, mf'er, boom." Yeah. And you know, full body fist pump. You know, yeah. Just. Chest bumping dudes, uh, all that stuff. So both of, both of them were SEC uh, walk-ons, I believe. So both of them, you know, played the game. Defensive coaches. Defensive coaches uh, from that kind of saving tree of those tough guys. And I think they would fight it out. Them with Mason, I think those three are fighting for the third spot probably because Mason is still a big dude. So I, I think those those are my three fighting for the three spot. But I got, I got Ogre as the one seed and Odom as the two seed. 
you, you got to give Pruitt bonus points too for saying last year in his introductory press conference, we're going to be in the streets with every other team in the SEC. I also believe that Pruitt's a very practical guy, and that's the thing I admire about him more than anything, honestly, is that he will not try to overcomplicate things if they don't need to be. He'd be like, why are we doing it this way? Just do this. Why are we trying to, why are we trying to do that? Like I can imagine his kids like trying to explain to him why they did something wrong, and they're telling this like long, rambling story, and he's like, why, why, didn't you just, why didn't you just do this? I'm picturing Pruitt having someone in a headlock and explaining why their technique on the punch that he blocked was wrong. Yeah, like he, like he is very practical. So what I mean by that is I think he would not hesitate to go for the um, eyes, nose, and balls. I think he would go directly to, like, the pressure points because I think he just, no fuss, man, go right to the, go right it, to the kill shot. And we've seen him get mad, too, on the sidelines. Pretty mad. I don't think we've seen him go nuclear yet. No, we haven't. Um, but I think he, he saves that for practice. Markwell Osborne tested it pretty hard last That's week. True. <laughs> tested true. it pretty hard. So congratulations, uh, regardless, congratulations to our winner of this week's Grant Gun Show of the Week contest. So make sure I get your name right. Jay Hig 531 a 35-month subscriber to GoVoss 24-7. Congratulations. You are the winner of this week's Grant's Gun Show question of the week. Guys, any uh, anything we haven't touched on in this rambling uh, lots to talk about? Was, this was always going to be a long episode. There was a lot to discuss. But anything that has not been discussed that needs to be mentioned before we get our way out of here? I can't think of anything. I mean. You got nothing? No. Tennessee yeah. could go 7-5. and five. It's kind of crazy. I ain't got no idea. I mean, I think it's pretty good. When you look at – when you look at – it's fascinating when you look at where this week could go because you go – from being potentially SEC coach of the year or in the contention or a guy who everyone here is going to question for the entire offseason. So uh, that's how much is riding on the next couple of weeks. Because they won last week. That changed the outlook for the rest of the season. Yes, it did. Big, big win. It certainly made up for that Florida debacle by now. Guys, thanks for tuning in this week. Thanks for being members of the site, those of you who are on GoVols247.com. And for those of you who are not on GoVols247.com, you can get 24-7 access to pretty much this debate that we've had here for the past hour and 17 minutes. 24-7 so, access. I see what you did there. See? And, and not just the Kentucky losing to Tennessee 24-7. The actual 24-7 sports experience. You can also... Get to us on uh, Twitter at twitter.com slash govals247. You can get to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash govals247. I'm on Twitter at westrucker247. Patrick Brown's on Twitter at pbrown247. Ryan Callahan's on Twitter at ryancallahan247. And Grant Gunshow Ramey is on Twitter at Grant Ramey. Without the 24-7, because he's not proud of us, apparently. But anyways, that's where... Grant is. But most importantly, go to GoVols247.com, guys. You can get everything you need, all Tennessee news, football, basketball, football recruiting, basketball recruiting, baseball. Uh, Maria does a great job covering uh, Lady Vols basketball. All kinds of stuff, all day long, all for a pretty reasonable rate, guys. You can't get a decent lunch for the amount that we charge per month there on GoVols247.com. Plus, we've always got at least a seven-day free access period for you to uh, try it before you buy it. Pat, any final thoughts? No. <laughs> <laughs>